So <clears throat> today we're talking about hope. Uh, Seems like just uh, like there's just a lot of uh, hopelessness in our world, a lot of confusion, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. Uh, so how do we deal with how do we deal with that from a biblical perspective? What what do we put our hope in? Is our hope in the economy? Is our hope in our president? Is our hope in our government system? Is our hope what is our hope in? And all of the, if your hope is in all those things, you're very disappointed. Uh, but our hope is not in that. Our hope is in Christ. So we're going to just talk about hope today and how we take hold of, how we lay hold of the hope that is set before us. How do we get a hold of hope, the real hope, the hope that is in Christ? That's the real hope. It's eternal hope. Christ is our hope. Uh, Hebrews 6.11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So we need faith and patience because often the promises of God don't happen tomorrow at 3 o'clock like we'd like for them to happen. Have anybody noticed that? Or do we have to wait on them? We need faith and patience because sometimes it appears to us from this side, looking at what God is doing from this side, it appears to us that God is not doing anything. And so we wonder what's going on. We uh, even will question, God, what's up? Why aren't you doing something? But even when God is doing nothing, he's getting to ready to do something. So even when God is doing nothing, he's really doing something. So to us, it looks like nothing, but it's something. And it's going to happen. For when God made the promise to Abraham, verse 13, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath so that two, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, he who set, he on whom we have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. So what's our hope? How do we have hope? If someone makes a promise to you, you don't put your faith in the promise, but in the person who made the promise. The promise is only as good as the promiser. So, I could promise to give someone in this room $100. And most of us could probably come, I mean, you know, I'm not saying you have $100 on you right now, but most of us could probably wrangle around and come up with $100 to give to somebody if we needed to, right? So we could, we could make good on that promise because we have the ability to make good on that promise. But what if I said to you, someone here today, before the end of the service, I'm going to give you a million dollars. It doesn't matter how much I would like to do that or how much fun it would be to be able to do that. I can't do that. I don't have the ability to do that. 
I could have the desire, but I lack the ability. So the promise, the power of the promise is not the promise itself. The power of the promise is as much in the person who made the promise. That's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us, is that God who made the promise, because it's God who made the promise, he's able to fulfill it. And it's on these, these incredible things, on the God who cannot change and the God who cannot lie. We can, we can put our hope in God because, because he doesn't change and he cannot lie. So since God doesn't change and he cannot lie, when God makes a promise to us, we can hold on to that because the promise isn't going to change and God didn't lie when he made the promise. And so they use the example in this of Abraham. Abraham is a great example of faith. So in Romans chapter 4, talking in the same passage about Abraham, here's what it says. For this reason, it's by faith. In order that it may be in accordance with grace, he's talking about how Abraham believed God and it was reckoned for righteousness. So that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of, his, of us all. As it is written, the father of many nations I have made you. In the presence of him who believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. So he said, our promise is based on God. He said, just like Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him for righteousness. Abraham was the first, he's the father of us all. He was the first to trust God for salvation by grace alone, based on the promise alone, and through faith alone. Abraham was the first Gentile who heard the call of God when he was in Ur of the Chaldees. God said to him, leave, your, leave this place and go to the land that I'll show you. He heard the call of God in a pagan land, and that's, <laughs> that's all there were. There were just Gentile pagan lands. There was no lands that were godly lands. There were just pagan lands. And in that pagan land, he heard God, and he responded in faith. So Abraham, in responding, saying yes to God, to obey God, he was the first Gentile God follower. And then Abraham was circumcised as a symbol of the covenant that God made with him. God said, I'm, I'm, this is going to be the symbol that you are mine. This is going to be the symbol of the covenant that I've made with you. So Abraham and his household were circumcised, so he was the first Jewish believer. Because it's through Abraham, he became the first Jew. And then Abraham was the first Christian. Because he saw the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in John 8, 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Somehow, in some way, in one of the visions that, that Abraham had, or at some time in his interactions with, uh, with Jesus uh, incarnate there, that spoke to him many, several different times, uh, that he had a revelation of who Jesus was and what he would accomplish. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, it says this, He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, 
from which he also received him back as a type. And considering Isaac, how could he offer Isaac as a sacrifice? Because he knew that God was not the God of the dead, but of the living, that he could raise him from the dead, just as he had seen Jesus raised from the dead. In hope against hope, he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which has been spoken, so shall your descendants be. So this, this, this term... Uh, <laughs> This term, hope against hope, is what got my attention and why I wanted to do a series on hope. So just as I was reading, in my Bible reading, I read this, this term, in hope against hope, Abraham believed. He believed. So that he would become the father of many nations. So I, I just, I began to think about that. What, you know, you ever read the Bible and think, I don't know what that means. <laughs> hope against hope. So I looked it up in the dictionary, and what the dictionary said was uh, without hope. That no hope of hope. All hope is gone. And I, I was thinking, I don't think that's what that means. I, I don't think when it says that Abraham believed in hope against hope, that it means he, that he didn't have hope. I think it means he did have hope. So, so what, is, what kind of hope did he have? Well, in hope against hope, what it's saying is there was no natural reason to hope. I mean, if you looked at it from, the, from just in, the, in the, just the bare facts, Abraham's old and Sarah is old, and there's not any chance of them having kids. There's no hope. It's not going to happen. They're, gonna, they're not going to have kids. There's, there's no hope of it happening. So it was hopeless by all practical measurements. He had no earthly hope, but he had hope in God who had made a promise, and he had hope that what God had promised, he was able to perform. So it was hope in God in contrast to hope to the world. So he's saying in hope, in no hope naturally, but in all hope in God. In hopelessness against hopefulness, he believed. Without becoming weak in faith, it says he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with respect to the promise, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully assured that what God had promised he was able to perform, therefore it was also credited to him as righteousness. And, and so I, I think it's important we, we get this. This is not a positive confession. He's not saying, I have to say it's okay to demonstrate my faith. He's, he's not saying, I have to say I'm well when I'm sick. To demonstrate my faith. I mean, there are groups of people that say, if you're sick, you can never say you're sick. If, you, if you're sick, you have to say I'm well. Because if you, if you don't have positive confession, then you don't have enough faith. Your faith won't carry you through to get the thing that you're trying to get God to do. You're trying to just twist his arm. You know, you've got to trick him so that, you know, because he doesn't know what you're really thinking. He doesn't know your heart. So you just say the right things and it works out okay. 
right? The problem with not telling the truth is that it's not the truth. And I don't think God is a God of lies. I think God is a God of truth. I think we should always tell the truth, even when it hurts. And the second thing is that you're putting your faith in your ability to have faith. In other words, your faith is in your faith and not in the promiser. So you don't put your faith in the promise. You put your faith in the promiser. Because if you don't have faith in the promiser, it doesn't matter what the promises that are made. So it's not putting faith in the promise, it's putting faith in the promiser. And so you're saying, I, I have faith, I've put my faith in God. So what this says about Abraham is that he honestly appraised his own physical condition. He, he honestly he said, he looked at his own body and he said, that good as dead. He's thinking, you know, it's not going to happen in the natural He's thinking, you know, Sarah in her prime didn't ever bear children. They've been married a long, long time. Sarah in her prime was never able to bear children. And now she is past the age of bearing children. And so physically, it is impossible. But that didn't keep him from trusting God. He trusted God anyway. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 15, it says, then, where we see this, what, what the writer of Hebrews and Paul, the writer of Romans, is telling us about, looking back now into Genesis, where we're getting the story from Moses. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she will be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And I, I think this was a combination of, of, of uh, I can't believe this is, I, I can't believe that, God. This is, this is so far out there. This is, so, this is past. This is impossible. He, in other words, he, he's, he's laughing, and he says, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old and Sarah, who is 99 years old, bear a child? In Genesis 18, when God reveals this and Sarah hears it, it says, Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? saying, shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the point in time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. But God said, he said, no, but you did laugh. I like that. See, we have a tendency, we look at the facts, we look at the facts, and we say, I'm too old, uh, I'm too messed up, I've had my chance, I had my, I had my opportunity, it's gone now, uh, I don't have the experiences, experience, I've made too many bad choices, I've already made too many mistakes, my life is already too big of a mess, and God invites us in with Abraham and Sarah and says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything that he cannot do? 
So he honestly appraised the situation. Sarah had never been fertile, even in her prime, and certainly not now, well past childbearing years. And what was improbable before seemed impossible now. So the positive confession group would say, I have to go around saying things that are not true or it cancels out my faith. I have to say I'm well when I'm sick. Are you sick? No, I'm not sick. Well, you look really sick, but I'm not. But Sarah wasn't pregnant until she was pregnant. And then she was pregnant. But she wasn't pregnant until she was pregnant. She had the promise, and they were hanging on to the promise. I believe that God is going to fulfill his promise. They believed God. It was recommended for righteousness. They trusted God. I believe if you had asked her if she was pregnant, she might have said, I'm not pregnant, but I believe what God has promised me is going to come to pass. Are you pregnant? No, I've just put on a little weight. I just thought about one of my friends who was greeting a lady at the church and, uh, and asked her, you know, and this is dangerous, so you never do this. It's a warning. He just said to her, when, when, when are you due? And she said, uh, about three months ago. <laughs> so, you know. So it's probably not good to ask a woman if she's pregnant. Uh, She'll tell you if she wants you to know. Uh, what if you're sick? I'm sick, but I believe God's promise to me. I have hope against hope. It doesn't matter what the doctor says. It matters what God says. That's still a positive confession, isn't it? My hope is not in my ability to keep my faith together. My, see, here's what I love about how God is. Abraham was weak at times and struggled, and God chose him and used him anyway. Because David was a man after God's own heart, but he failed miserably, and God used him anyway. You see, what God is doing in the story, he's showing that, hey, you bunch of jokers need a Messiah. You need a Savior, because you can't do it on your own. You know what he's doing to us? And then, then he picks his disciples. And my goodness, you'd think, I don't think Jesus went to picking school because he picked some real doozies. I mean, he picked one who wanted to have him killed. Why did he do that? Because it's not about us. It's about the one who made the promise. It's not that, oh, aren't we really good at doing this? It's, no, we're horrible at doing this. But he's really good. He's really good at fulfilling his word. He's really good at keeping his promise. He's really good at following through. Second to me, 4.16. Paul says it this way. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Wow, this is the kind of thing that made the church different. The first century church was different because they learned from Jesus to be non-retaliatory. So when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. 
Then the first martyr, Stephen, when Stephen was being stoned, he saw Jesus at the right hand of the Father, and he said, Father, forgive them. Don't lay this charge against them. Paul, in the same way, is saying, listen, Lord, you've forgiven me so much, I'm letting stuff go. Lord, forgiven you very much, you need to be letting stuff go. I mean, isn't it easy to hold on to stuff? But we need to be letting stuff go. We need to be forgiving people and forgetting the things that have happened. At my first offense, no one supported me. It was a big disappointment. Paul had poured his life into so many people. He had laid down his life. He had been through all kinds of difficulty. He said, at my first defense, everyone deserted me. But Lord, don't count it against them. But the Lord stood with me, and he strengthened me. You know, that's what he'll do. You'll find that people will disappoint you. But when people disappoint you, God will come through. God will stand with you. People will never perform. I'm telling you, people will never perform at the level of your expectations. You will always create a level of expectation that most people cannot keep up with. And, uh, you know, and I've often said, we would be, you know, we think, we, a lot of times people stay away from church because they're worried about what people think. And I'm thinking, you know what, I, I hate to offend you about this, but nobody's thinking about you. They're just thinking about themselves. Nobody's, nobody's putting that much energy in you. They're worried about themselves. We'd be offended if we thought about how little other people thought about us. But the Lord stood with me. And so you have to learn that, yes, people are, are going to fail you, and people are going to disappoint you, and people are going to desert you, but the Lord won't. He's faithful to his promise, and the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me... The proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This was Paul's last letter. These are some of the last things that we know that Paul wrote. Because just a little bit after this, Paul was beheaded by Nero. We that's what we are pretty sure happened. Nero was one of the most evil, vile. Even the Romans, who had a long line of vile, despicable rulers, considered him the vilest. He was just one of the worst that Rome ever had. And Nero took out Paul and Peter at about the same time. But God kept his promise. Because his promise to Paul, Paul said, I know that he's going to deliver me safely to his heavenly kingdom. That he was going to finish what he started. You see, our hope is in the promiser more than the promise. But I want you to think about some of the great promises we have. He promises to forgive my sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. And the more you need it, the more valuable it is to you, the more precious it is to you. Then he promises to clothe me with his righteousness. 
And in doing that, he promises to adopt me and make me his son and heir. He promises to give me the Holy Spirit inside of me, to lead me and teach me and to comfort me. He, conforms by the, he promises by that Spirit to conform us to the image of his Son and complete the work he started in us. He's going to finish what he started. He promises to help me when I'm weak and I fail and I falter and I sin. When I'm weak, he's strong. He promises never to leave me or forsake me. Never. He promises, he promises to hear me when I pray and answer my prayers. Some of those answers will be no, but he's going to answer my prayers. He promises me access into his holy presence, which the Bible calls the throne of grace, that we come boldly before the throne of grace, that I'm not hiding from God. See, when Adam and Eve sinned, they knew they had sinned. Their first reaction was to hide from God. God says, because of what Jesus did, he wants to change our reaction from running and covering ourselves with fig leaves to instead running into his presence and thereby receiving in his presence grace. Because it is the, it is the place where grace reigns and rules. It is God's throne of grace. He promises to transform my body into an eternal body, to spend a glorious eternity in his heavenly kingdom. My hope is in the one, those are great promises, but my hope is in the one who made the promise even more than the promise. I have hope against hope. At verse 21, that being fully assured that what God has promised, he was able also to perform it. Let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. So let me reiterate what I said on the other side. You guys come on in. We're going to sing this last song again. We need faith. And patience, because sometimes it appears to us from this side that God is doing nothing. He's not doing anything. But even when God is doing nothing, he's getting ready to do something. So even when God is doing nothing, he's doing something. So if you feel like you're in a place where God's doing nothing, get ready. Because he's about to do something. <laughs> because he keeps his promises. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, in Jesus' name, we just rejoice in you that you're the God who keeps your promises and you keep your word. And you will fulfill, you will finish the work you have started in us. You will carry us. Like Paul, you're going to Take us to the heavenly kingdom in glory and victory, not defeat, but in victory as we gather with you in the throne eternity in Jesus' name. Lord, help those that have lost hope today to get a hold of the hope that is found 
not in the promises made, but in the promiser who never will let us down. In Jesus' name.